Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. So today I want to I want to talk to you about, I'm going to finish the series on first uh, that we started at the beginning of the year. I'm going to talk about first love. I want to teach it from a little different perspective maybe than you've heard it before. I want to look, I guess the crux of the message is going to be from Paul's second, his second prayer for the Ephesian church. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Those verses are all actually one sentence. So it's a long, it's a long one sentence. Uh, but I'm not going to go to that right away. So if you know anything about the Ephesian church, it, Paul founded the Ephesian church when he went to Ephesus. You can find this in Acts 19 and 20. Somewhere probably around A.D. 54 to 56, somewhere in that neighborhood. It was called A.D. 55. He writes the letter to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He writes that about maybe eight or ten years later, somewhere between 62 and 64 A.D. And that's the, the we're going to look at just a few verses from that today. We're going to look at the, uh, a prayer that he prays for them, that they would begin to understand God's love for them. And what happens a lot of times, and, and when we get saved, we get saved when we understand that God loves me. God died for me. God loves me unconditionally. Everything he did was by grace, and we just fall completely head over heels for Jesus. Anybody remember those days? And then what tends to happen over time is things shift. And instead of doing things because God loves me, we begin to get a little legalistic. We begin to get a little religious. And we start to do things to get God to continue to love me. And so I want to open today with Revelation chapter 2. In, Re- in Revelation chapter 2, John writes this letter somewhere, most people think, between 92, 94 A.D., so probably about 30 years after Paul wrote the, the church, his, his epistle to the Ephesians. Same church. Well, actually, he didn't write to the church. But uh, So in, in Revelation chapter 1, John has this vision, and, and John sees... He sees seven lampstands. He says he sees one like the Son of God. He sees Jesus standing in the middle of the lampstand. And it says, in his hand he held seven stars. And at the end of chapter 1, Jesus gives John the interpretation of what he sees. He says, the seven stars are seven angels, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. Now, angel... Angelos uh, means messenger. So most people would agree that that word angel is not an angel like you think of, but the, the messenger or what would we call the lead pastor of those churches. So he's writing this, uh, he sees this vision, seven stars, seven churches, uh, and he's, he writes a few verses to each church. And the first church, is this church at Ephesus. 
And in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, this is what he says, who stands in the midst of the lampstands. So when, when Jesus, and if you read chapters 2 and 3, it's all in red. So this is Jesus speaking. And so he starts each one of these uh, introductions about the church to something that they need to understand. And to the church at Ephesus, he makes the point out, I'm the one that stands in the middle. Essentially, you've taken me out of the center of your life and of your church. And he says, he starts off with some compliments. He says to them, he said, I, I know your, your works. I know your deeds. He says, I know your labor. That means your toil and, and hardships that you go through. He says, I know your patience. I know that you've tested people who said they were apostles, but they turned out to be liars. You've operated in the spiritual gifts of discernment. He says, I know your perseverance. It's all these things. They've done all these good things. They've done deeds for the Lord. They've labored for the Lord. They've had patience. They've persevered. They've discerned people that tried to pretend that they were apostles and they weren't. And Jesus says, but one thing, this one thing I have against you. And he says, verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, first of all, this is not talking about losing your salvation. The lampstand is the church. Okay, remember he held the stars in his hand, and the lampstands he said are churches. So what he's saying, he says, if you don't repent, remember repent, metanoia in the Greek means to change your mind, to change the way you think. He says, if you don't change your thinking on this, I'm going to remove your church from its place of influence in its city. You're going to lose your influence. I'm going to come quickly and remove you. It's not talking about the pastor losing his salvation either. Remember it says that he hold the stars where? In his hand. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father and I are one. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of his hand. But he's saying you're going to lose something if you don't change. If you don't change your mind, and you don't repent, and you don't remember from where you've fallen. So if I, if I have to remember from where I've fallen, that means I've descended to a lower place. I need to remember from where I came, which was a higher place. And so a lot of times, when you, anybody ever heard a message on this, this verse? You've lost your first love. Now, what do most people say? You need to be on fire for Jesus. You're not as passionate as you used to be. You need to do more. They were already doing things. But I want to point out to you today, and I think the intent here is they were doing them to get God to continue to love them instead of the fact, and they forgot that it was because God loved them is why they started out doing those things. The same person that wrote this, John, the Apostle John, 
and about the same time frame wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He also mentions this term first love in 1st John chapter 4, verse 10. This is what it says. It says, In this the love of God is manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. A lot of times we make it about our love for God, don't we? It says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that what did He do? But that He loved us and gave Himself as a propitiation for our sin. Verse 19 said this, We love God because what? He first loved us. If you've left your first love, you've walked away from the fact that it starts with God's love for you. It says, Not that God, we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the complete satisfaction. Don told your place that every sin has been forgiven. Jesus, the word propitiation, just means that He completely satisfied the demands on sin. Completely satisfied the wrath of God. God's not mad at you anymore. God's not angry. He doesn't even have a bad attitude. He's got nothing but good thoughts of love and grace for you. Do you remember it said in uh, Revelation chapter 2, it says, Unless, it says, remember from where you have fallen. I want you to think about this same word. Galatians chapter 5 starts out in verse 1. It says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where which Christ has made you free, and do not become entangled again in the yoke of bondage, speaking of the law, or doing things legalistically. Paul says, stay put. Stand fast. Don't move. And then in verse, verse 4 it says, You've become estranged. That word means separated. Not spiritually, because you're one with Christ, but you've gotten to a position where the power is not working anymore. It says you've become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from what? Grace. Grace. Grace is God's giving you what you don't deserve. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. But he gave it to me anyway. It's free. It's undeserved favor. He said you've fallen from a position of undeserved favor because you've got in a habit of trying to do things to get God to continue to favor and love and call you righteous. It says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. That was the hot button then. That's not necessarily a hot button today. It was at the time. It says none of that matters. The only thing that matters is faith working by what? Love. Faith works. But if it's not rooted in God's love for you, faith actually becomes a work. Oh, I got to pray more. Should you pray? Yeah. I got to give more. I got to go to church more. 
I got to fellowship more. I got to read my Bible. All good stuff. But what should be faith has now become a work because it's not grounded in God's love for you. It's you trying to do it to get God to do something in return. And when you do that, you've fallen from grace. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to remember from where you fell. I want you to repent, change your mind, and start doing the works that you did at the first, which were works that were by faith through love. All right, you guys ready to read the prayer? All right. You want me to tell some more jokes? Later. Ephesians chapter 3. Let me read this to you first. I don't want to roll through the slides. Let me just read it to you. Then I kind of want to teach uh, down through the verses. Don't breathe in the microphone. I never went to microphone school, so. Okay, you got. You awake right now? All right, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, the, the, the prayer. The one sentence is actually 14 through 19. I'm going to read down through 21. So just let's just keep the slide where it's at. It says, for this reason, now this is the second prayer that Paul prayed. The first prayer to the Ephesian church is in verses chapter 1, I think verses 16 to 19. This is number 2. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through the, his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to him, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's say amen to that. There is so much in here. I, I will try to unpack a few things today. What I really want to get to are those, those dimensions of God's love. Because understanding this and actually experiencing this is foundational for everything you're going to do in your walk with the Lord. So, so the, the width of God's love, the length of God's love, the depth of God's love, and the height of God's love. I'll give you a few verses on each one. Now, we're not going to have time to unpack every verse and really dig into each verse. So today's going to be more scripture, but I want you to take good notes. I want you to go home. I really, really want you to let this sink in this week because this is, this is a big deal, really big deal. All right, let's read through this. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't get hung up on Paul saying, how did, how did he pray in this case? On his knees. So what do we, oh, the Apostle Paul bowed. Well, we better, we better get on, no, don't, don't, don't get legalistic on me. I hate legalism. Because if you want to go all the way back, 
David, when David sinned, it said he was prostrate on the ground. Or Jesus, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I want men to pray everywhere, standing. And then Paul tells Timothy, he said, I want men to pray with hands held high, holy hands lifted up. So the, the posture is not as important as this posture. All right? I don't care if you want to sit in your chair. I've got a chair in my house that I talk to God in. Now, before I had disc issues, I used to be like this. Now I'm like this. It's okay. It's this that matters. So Paul says, he says, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, what are we here? Family. If you don't hear that, this is family. If you're here for the first time, you're part of our family. But God's family is made up of those that put their faith in Jesus. And he says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he's actually including Old Testament saints. He's counting New Testament saints that have died and the ones that are living. So the ones that are already in heaven and the ones that are alive. He says, the whole family of God. On, uh, that he would grant you, so here's where he starts his prayer, according to the riches of his glory. So he says, I want God to give you something, but I just don't want it to be any old thing. I don't want it to be based on what you deserved. I don't want it based on what you earned. It doesn't matter how good you are, bad you are. I want him to give this to you based on the riches, the abundance the overflow of what he has. And let me tell you, he has everything. He has infinite. He's got it all. It's inexhaustible. He says, I want him to grant this to you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So this sounds a little odd, because I thought that Christ already what? He says, I, I want I want you, I want God to grant you to be strengthened with might. That word might really should be the word power. It's the word dunamis that means miracle-working power, the power that changes the impossible. And he says, I want him to strengthen you with miracle-working power through His Holy Spirit. Power for everything you need in life flows through the Holy Spirit. And He says, I want you strengthened within your inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So remember this. The day that you get saved, the day that you make Jesus Lord of your life, you get a new spirit on the inside. Brand new. And the Holy Spirit comes in to live in that born-again spirit in you. But your heart also comprises your personality or your soul. And so what he's praying is, he's praying that the Holy Spirit that lives in you, the Christ that lives in you, will now be able to flow through you and change the way you think, change the way you feel, and change the way you act. And he said, if you want the key to victorious living, it's allowing the power of the Holy Spirit that's in you to flow through you. 
And he says, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts. He doesn't really live in your heart. He lives in your born-again spirit. But he says, I want him to dwell in the rest of you. And I want him to do it by faith. See, a lot of us want Christ to dwell in our life by feelings. Well, the music was good today. And I felt the presence of the Holy Ghost. I had beans for breakfast. (laughs) Pizza. Whether you feel the presence of God or not, he's in there. You may feel him. You may have a powerful experience with God. I had such a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit in Peru two weeks ago on a train in the middle of the Andes Mountains looking at the mountains and the Spirit of God hit me so hard I couldn't move. I could only weep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't stand. I I was in a crumpled mess. I was like, stop it. My wife's like, I was like, I don't know. (laughs) It was the most intense moment 10 minutes I've ever had with the Lord in my life. The most unexpected time. I wasn't praying. I was eating and looking out the window, you know, just having a good time, enjoying creation. And I experienced the Holy Spirit, but the fact that I felt Him didn't make His presence more real. He was already in me. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened with power by His Spirit in your inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Whether you can see Him, whether you can feel Him or not, whether anything, He's in there, and you have to allow what's in to flow out. See, the biggest mistake most people make is they try to live their best life for God. It, It won't work. Let me tell you, your best just ain't good enough. Obli- yeah, obedience, out, or what would that be? Obedience out of obligation? I don't know. But, you know, we try to take and live our best life for God. Next slide. Most Christians fall short of what God wants them to be because they're trying to live their best life for God instead of allowing God to live through them. If you want the key to victorious living, that's it. What did Paul say in Galatians chapter 2.20? He said, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm not trying to get crucified. I'm not crucifying myself. I have been crucified. My old man's dead. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you can get that one verse down, (laughs) I'm still working on it. But that's a powerful verse. Allowing the God that lives in you to flow through you and the life that I live in the flesh, my everyday life, the key to success is allowing Him to live it through me 
and I live it by faith in Christ who loved me. Loved me. Again, it's not I'm living it by faith out of my love for him. I'm living it in faith because he loved me. It's a game changer. Verse 17 says this, that you, being rooted and grounded in what? That you being rooted and grounded in love. What do roots do? They give support to a tree, right? They are what make that tree stable. Now, here's something, men, if your wife wants to do something and it's her 50th birthday, you just got to do it. And so when we went to Peru, my wife wanted to walk across a rope bridge. Now, I want you to think Pirates of the Caribbean type rope bridge. All right, so it's a couple planks, and it's rope, and it's 120 feet in the air. And we're going between giant trees in the Amazon jungle. I, know, I can't make it up five, five rungs on a ladder. I'm just going to say that. I am scared of heights. Uh, there's no need for me to be 120 feet in the air. And all I can think, now they had already told us when we went through the jungle that the forest is so dense, when one tree falls, it's like a domino effect. So in my mind, I'm thinking, boy, I hope those roots hold. <laughs> I hope, because it started getting windy and a storm was coming in. And I'm, she's just like taking pictures of monkeys and... And I'm going, move, move. And in between me telling her to move, I'm praying in tongues. and um, I, I just wanted to get done. Scared to death. But I did it because I loved her. And I, you know, there's something about facing your fears and getting through it. But, but I was hoping that those roots held. Because as soon as one didn't, I could just see myself going, <laughs> I had backup plans. I had plan A, B, C. If I fall through, am I going to be able to hold myself? But roots give stability. Grounded means to lay a foundation. It means to lay a foundation. Another thing when we were in Peru, we went to Machu Picchu, which is about 9,000 feet above sea level. These, these Incas, who were master builders, they built uh, homes and temples and, and king's palaces 9,000 feet on the top of a mountain in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Amazing. And, and they were master builders. Uh, they would use stones that they would carve down, smooth down, and they were so tight together you to the, to the, these were built in 600 years ago. You, to this day, could not get a dollar bill between them. Perfect. Perfectly carved, perfectly honed, and there has been numerous earthquakes in the last 600 years. These things don't move. A couple places have, but for the most part, still standing. And what I found interesting was that God, as he's taking us, adown, taking us around that, that civilization, he said, the ink is built like you would think about an iceberg. That what you see 
is only a small part of the structure, and actually the bulk of the structure is below ground. Because they built this huge foundation that couldn't be seen, so that the thing that could be seen could withstand earthquakes and hurricanes and all kinds of bad weather for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that's what God's love does. See, God's love is the thing that roots us in difficult times. It's the thing that grounds us and gives us a foundation. It's the thing that which everything else in your Christian walk will be built on. Next slide. The revelation of God's love for us is the foundation on which everything else we receive from God is built. you got to get this. Paul wants them to get it right. He says, I want that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18 says this, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height. We're going to talk about that in a minute, width, length, depth, and height. But this word comprehend, look at this. Here's what it means. Next slide. It means to understand, perceive, and learn. Everybody knows that. To comprehend something means to understand it. But it also means this. To lay hold of so as to make it one's own. To obtain, to attain, to take into oneself, or to appropriate. He says, I want you to be able to personalize this. I want you to make God's love for the world God's love for me. I want you to appropriate it to yourself. He says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. That means that everybody has the ability to do this. It's not limited to just a select few. If you are a believer, you are a saint. Now I realize that some churches say that they they qualify who a saint is. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, verse 7. It said, To all who are in Rome, who are beloved, called saints. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. You are a saint. All right, next slide. We're going to have to go quick now. Running out of time. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Sounds like a contradiction. To know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, doesn't it? How do I know something that's beyond knowledge? Well, here's the key to this. The word know is the Greek word ginosko, which means to learn by experience. It's the word that was used when a man knew a woman, that they had intercourse or sexual relations. It's to come to know somebody by experience. Like, I know my wife like you don't know my wife. That you may know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That word is gnosis, which means general knowledge or science. Stuff everybody knows. So he says that when you experience the love of Christ, it goes beyond what you can actually learn out of a book. 
David said, Psalm 34, and he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, He is good. You can see something without ever experiencing it, but you can't taste it without experiencing it. Paul says that you may experience the love of God, which goes beyond actual knowing God. See, a lot of people know God loves me, but you have never experienced the love of God in your life. And I can't tell you how to experience it. I can tell you about it. I'm going to share a few things about the, God's love and the several dimensions of God's love today. But you have to experience it for yourself. He says that you may know the love of Christ with passion knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, it's great. So, so here's the thing. The only way I can be filled with all the fullness of God is that I've actually experienced the love of God. I mean, it's, it's be awesome to be filled with God or to be filled with the fullness of God, but to be filled with all the fullness of God requires an experiential knowledge of His love. I want to be full of God. My prayer for you is that you would be full of God. I want you to be so full of the fullness of God that when you go outside to your job, that people see the love of Jesus, that it's flowing through you. That they see something different in your life. Like, hey, I know God, but you obviously know something I don't know. I've experienced Jesus' love, that's why. All right, so let's quickly look at these four things. The width, and we'll just go through these fairly quick. The width of God's love. Anybody ever see a river when it overflows its banks? Like when it's, uh, I remember January of 96, we had Wills Creek flooded. My business lost everything. But I remember standing on that train bridge and watching it come up. And once it overflowed its banks, it got real wide. And here's what I want to tell you about the love of God. It's so wide that it includes the whole world. For God so loved the world. See, God just didn't die and love Americans. He loves Asians. He loves Africans. He loves Indians. Unfortunately, there's even some denominations that think God only died for and loves certain people. And if you're not one of those special people, you're going to hell. Funny thing is, everybody believes that is one of those special people. <laughs> oh, what made you so special? Well, I just am, you know. God loved everybody. And so the, 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 the width of his love, it's for the whole world. Every denomination, every ethnicity, sinners, saints, everybody. Because he says, whosoever believes 
in him shall not perish. So not only does he, he love everybody, but he also, the width of it, that it covers every sin. There's no sin that you ever committed or will commit that the love of God is not already taken care of. But you have to believe it. So the path is very wide. It covers everybody. And it's available to everybody. But you have to believe it on your own. Second thing, the length of God's love. First John tells us that God is what? God is love. We also know that God is eternal. So if God's love and God's eternal, guess what love is? Love is also eternal. God says, the love that I have for you is from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past to eternity future. Now, every relationship you've ever had or will have will at some point end. Anybody ever been dumped? <laughs> Anybody ever been the dumper? You know what happens when you get dumped one or two, two times? You turn into the dumper. I will never, ever let anybody hurt me again. That happened to me before I met my wife. I'm going to cut this thing off before it gets to the point of me. I'm going to hurt before I get hurt. The love of God's not like that. See, a lot of things we can compare, but you can't compare the love of God to the love that you have with people. Even the love, although our love for our spouse emulates God's love for the church, it fails. It fails to compare. Because God's love never ends. Every relationship, whether somebody left you, dumped you, divorced you, whether they, they, maybe they died. At some point in time, it's going to be over. Oh, FaceTiming my daughter. Lauren, say hi to church. Hey, bye. Put that in my pocket. How that happened. That's weird how that happens, you know. How does, the, how does my butt know what buttons to hit? Maybe that's why they call it butt uns. That they're hitting something. <laughs> All right. When you accept Jesus, when you experience his love, here's the confidence you can have. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Ever. You can smack him in the face a zillion times and he'll still be there. You can turn your back on him. You can walk away. You can. He's not going anywhere. Because Jesus has already paid for that sin. And Paul says this. Here's the confidence you need to have. He says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall ever 
be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing in your life to separate you from God's love. Ever. It's from eternity past to eternity future. Next. Depth. When I think about depth, I think about that God's love is not shallow. To what extent, if, if you want to say, how deep do you love somebody? To what extent are you willing to sacrifice? To what extent will you go to demonstrate how deep your love is? Well, here's what Jesus did. He left heaven. He left the glory of the Father. It says that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. It said that he took upon him the form of a servant, came in the likeness of men. He willingly laid aside his godness. Didn't stop being God, but laid aside all of his deity, all of his characteristics that let him be who he was. Still God, but laid him aside. Humbles himself, puts himself in this body, made like me, made like you, so that he could experience death as a man. God did that. It cost God everything, his love for you. He spared no expense. The parable that says that a man found a treasure hidden in a field and, and for joy over that treasure went and sold all that he had so that he could buy the field. Heaven gave everything, Jesus, to buy the field of the world for you, the treasure. And he'd do it again if you were the only person. That Jesus died for this. Romans 3 says this. Romans 5, I'm sorry. Next slide. It says, Scarcely a righteous man will die, yet perhaps a good, for a good man somebody would dare to die. So maybe somebody would die for a good person, but ain't none of us any good. At least before we met Jesus. And Jesus died for you when you were ungodly, when you were a sinner, when you were a filthy mess. And it says, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The next verse goes on to say, much more than now that we've been justified. So here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, not only did Jesus die for you when you were a sinner, and he loved you that much, but much more now that you're righteous. He actually loves you even more now, saved, than he did when you were unsaved, if you can imagine that. It's much more. Depth. Last thing. The height of God's love. It's wide. Covers everybody, every sin, ever. It's long. From eternity past to eternity future. It's deep. And then he gave everything to buy you back into a relationship with himself. Sacrificed it all. And it doesn't end there because it's got some height to it, too. 
This is more about our position. But Paul says this in Ephesians 2. Go back and I'll read this to you. It says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Yeah, we didn't deserve it. Yeah, we didn't earn it. But it's never about what we do for him. It's about what he's already done for us. He's already done it. It's available. But you've got to experience it for yourself. I can't experience it for you. It will change your life. And just when you think you're starting to understand it, God shows you more. And He gives you more. And He gives you more. See, we'll be in heaven one day, but right now, the height of God's love has seated me in heavenly places in Christ. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The position of all authority is where He sits. And I sit in Him, with Him. The way the Father loves Jesus is the way He loves me. The way He honors and favors Jesus is how He favors and honors me. I didn't deserve it. I've done so many bad things. But he did it for you. So as we entered now into just a few minutes of worship, here's what I want want you to do. I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to stand up. And I want you to just be alone with God right where you're at. And I just want to invite you today, if you've left, if you don't know God and you want to meet Jesus today, I want you to come see me. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus because he loves you and he's got an amazing plan for your life. Or if you've you've got into just a religious way of living, like I need to get back to the basics. I need to get back to the day when I realized God loved me regardless of what I do. And when you start operating in that, you'll live holier than you ever have on accident than you could on purpose.